So I wrote this, and, and I won the contest, and the winner of the contest was, Pete, the, the prize was, Peter will write a song for you. And when I heard my life back in a two-minute ditty, it saved my life, this song, pretty much. And then when it saved my life, I said, I need to do this for patience. I need to do this for patience, because it impacted me so much hearing who I really was. Hi, I'm Nick Ninton, and welcome to Now to Next, the podcast where I interview some of the top experts and professionals all across the globe to talk about what's happening now and what you can expect next. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes. Hey everybody, Nick Nanton here for a new episode of Now to Next. I've got an amazing guest for you here today, Dr. Steven Eisenberg. And I'm going to give you a little bit of the background that we and my team dug up on him. And then he can tell me uh, what we did right and what we did wrong. And as usual, I put him up on the screen so we can watch him awkwardly listen to his own bio. So here we go. Uh, Dr. Steven Eisenberg is a triple board certified physician in internal medicine, oncology, and hematology. He completed a three-year fellowship at Georgetown University's Vincent Lombardi Comprehensive Cancer Center. He was the first recipient of the Dr. Emmanuel Flegelman Humanitarian Award for the doctor most exhibiting highly compassionate care during residency. Dr. Eisenberg co-founded C-Care, California's largest medical oncology practice. He serves as its medical director of integrative oncology as well as its unofficial CEO or chief empathy officer. Building on his expertise in healthcare technology. He joined the faculty of Singularity University's Exponential Medicine Program and is one of the first graduates of Future Med at NASA's Ames Research Center in Silicon Valley. Very cool places, both of those places I've been. He has won numerous hospital awards for his uniquely empathetic bedside manner and commitment to meaningful patient engagement. This is cool. His practice of writing songs with his patients has earned him the nickname The Singing Oncologist and has helped him become the most followed oncologist on Twitter. His new book, which is what we're talking about here today, Love is the Strongest Medicine, Notes from a Cancer Doctor on Connection, Creativity, and Compassion come out May 25th, 2021, and uh, go pre-buy it now on Amazon. We'll talk about it a few times. Aww. Dr. Steve, what did I miss? Oh, my God. It was too much. You missed nothing. You missed nothing. It was way too much. No, it was great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Um, as you know, I'm I'm uh, I, I'm a big fan of the show, of you, your movies. Thank you. And uh, uh, and and I really would I, I I had this vision for a movie so many years ago to tell people where 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 oncology is right now. You know, like Richard Nixon had the war again, the the called the war on cancer so many years ago. Like, where are we? You know, like how close are we to a cure? And and people always ask that, you know, like, where are we with oncology? How close are we to a cure? But people don't realize that oncology or cancer is over 200 unique diseases, each with its own prognosis, each with its own treatment paradigm, each with its own um, advances. Well, that's, so we're that's a great point. Yeah. Let me ask you this. If you had to rebrand cancer, how would you rebrand it? I would say, here's how to become a thriver for your specific type of cancer. Got it. You know, cancer thriver. You know, I want everyone out there to know 
everyone listening that you can become a cancer thriver. You can thrive through it because it's about personalized medicine now. Precision oncology is where we're heading. It's not just, oh, I've got lung cancer. It's I've got lung cancer with EGFR mutation and I am eligible for a pill where there was no pill for lung cancer 30 years ago. Now we can target your specific type of cancer. So it's like precision medicine, precision oncology, personalized medicine. This is the name of the game, but it's also, we have to personalize the human being on the other side of the desk. And that's why I became an oncologist. Oncology is about living. It's about living through it, living with it, thriving through it, surviving through it. And it's about discovering who you really are because it changes you. It changes you at your core. You become so wrapped up in the diagnosis, you forget who you are. You, I'm a cancer patient now. Right, it becomes no. your identity. Yeah, no. And I say, I say, no, you are someone who's living with cancer. Mm-hmm. And you're still Nick. Right. And yes, we're going to go on this journey together and we're going to get you through it. And you're going to be the same beautiful human being that you are. And I may have to remind you of that a little bit through a song, through making you laugh, through whatever it is. But that's the connection that we've seen through this pandemic that is so vital. And that's why I think maybe this is the perfect time for a book like this because. It's all about connection. I love that I it. I think been missing. That's a great answer for a very hard question you gave us. So we're going to dig in more. My friend, uh, Dr. Ned Hallowell, calls connection the other vitamin C, the other thing that we must have that we get too little of. Um, you, at 13 years old, you were riding your bike down the street, and you had a life-changing incident happen. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, do you ever see uh, Back to School? With Rodney Dangerfield. It's been a long time. It was like, yeah, yeah. He calls his special dive the Triple Lindy because he flies through the air and does like a somersault. I did a Triple Lindy when the car hit me, and I flew up in the air, and my head bashed it through the windshield. And I don't remember it. All I remember is driving down the street, and then I'm next thing I know, I'm, I'm flat on the ground paramedic here paramedic here mom crying over left shoulder like my kid's gonna die and uh and the first night in the icu my brain was so swollen from the impact no helmet it was 1983 i stopped breathing i stopped breathing that first night in the icu and i do remember like going through a light going towards a light (laughs) it's 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 scary to think about and then I remember coming and nurse here, nurse here and saying, looking at me right over my bed and saying, it's going to be okay, Stephen. It's going to be okay. You're going to make it. And it was like that near death experience. And I was 13. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to listen to Prince and, and, and meet chicks. You know, I was 13. But I also remember thinking, and my dad sat me down when he explained the, that I almost didn't make it. He said, you know, you got a second chance. And that hit me, like, even at 13, you know, because when, you're, when I was 13, I just, I just wanted to meet girls, you know. I just wanted to try and not stand out for being so skinny and having, a, having crazy hair and buck teeth and whatever. 
braces. And, and now I had a torn up face. But I remember, I, I do remember thinking, look, man, like, and my dad telling me, I, I, I almost didn't make it. I was, I stopped breathing and I got a second chance and don't blow it. Like, I remember, and for back then it was like, if you like a girl, tell her. But like, as life went on, it was like, if you want to, if you want to write a book, start writing it. If you want to be a doctor, be the kind of doctor that you, that you dream of, which is, is the, what, which at the time was someone who shows love to their patients, someone who can write a song together. Like I was a songwriter my whole life, like you. The second chances is the key. Life gives you sometimes these second chances. And oncology many times offers the, the beauty of, of giving someone a second chance at life and we can cure you from cancer. And we're curing more people now, Nick. We're curing so many more people. Uh, that's amazing. The one thing I think was really interesting there that I learned from from the book is that speech and song come from two different centers in the brain. So there was a time during there during that where you you were unable to speak but you could sing. Tell us about yeah, that I, and how frustrating it was, but then maybe how freeing it was when you figured out you could sing. Oh my God, man! I I was so frustrated. I had to write every word down. I had expressive aphasia, is what it's called, expressive aphasia. The speech center is so swollen. The thoughts, it, it said, okay, you want to tell, tell your mom that, that uh, your leg hurts because I had a cast from my, my entire leg. I'm on, on crutches and uh, the words wouldn't come out. You, you, you knew what you, I knew what I wanted to say, but it, I couldn't make the words come out. And it was the strangest thing. And, and I had speech therapy and I couldn't, I had to write everything down for so long, but then, um, you know, they suggested have him sit, you know, ha have him try to sing a little. So my mom brings in my boom box, 1983 thriller had just come out. Nice. It was the, my favorite album of all time. And, and I'm sitting in the hospital bed one day and I, and I take my thriller to cassette. Billy Jean is not my lover. I started doing the chorus from Billie Jean. I was like, and that came out. Like, that made sense. It was the first thing out of my mouth that made sense. And the, they were sort of blown away. But it helped me so much because I knew that I, I could eventually make sense again. But it, it was the first thing that I could do. And, and, and it's always been so special from that moment on. It was the first the first noise that made any sense out of my brain once the swelling was 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 coming down and it, it i have a very special affinity for that album and and just music in general the healing power of music the healing power of connection nothing connects two human beings faster than music and laughter you know listening to a song together you know when 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 you sent me that song that you wrote, I listened to it. I was like, oh man, I I can feel, I can sense this guy's heart, you know, you know. But it but it goes beyond just writing songs. Like, I sit down next to my patient, and I pull up Spotify, and I'm like, um, Mrs. Jones, what's your favorite song that you've you know growing up? What was your? Oh yeah, Tony Bennett, whatever. So I'll pull it up, and we'll listen to it, and. And we just like, you know, just listening to someone's favorite song with them, you learn a lot about them. It's all about that, that musical connection, that lyrical life.
the, the, the life in the lyrics. And that's how it all started. You know, when I was burned out from medicine, I came from Georgetown and I went to private practice and it was horrible because I didn't know how to be a private practice doctor. And I just wanted to like hang out and get to know my patients. And the business, the business aspect, it started to drain on me and stress me out because I didn't, I didn't know it. I didn't really want it, but yet I had to do it. I had to be able to survive in the real world. I was no longer in academia. I was in a private group and it sucked the soul out of me. And I started to get sick. I started to feel horrible. And only when I entered the songwriting contest from Peter Himmelman, how has Peter's music impacted you in a positive way or in any way? I wrote my story. I've listened to Peter's song, Mission of My Soul. Listen to that song, guys. Pick it out. Peter Himmelman, Mission of My Soul. And I wrote, that song became the mission of my medicine. I'm here for you in the middle of the night. I'm going to listen to you. And, and, and so I wrote this and, and I won the contest. And the winner of the contest was, Pete, the, the prize was Peter will write a song for you. And when I heard my life back in a two-minute ditty, it saved my life, the song, pretty much. And then when it saved my life, I said, I need to do this for patients. I need to do this for patients because it impacted me so much hearing who I really was. I was like, okay, music can really bring people back to who they are, their life, their loves, their passion, their purpose, that they're more than just their cancer. You are not your cancer you're a human being with cancer. And that's what the music did for me. Love that. Let me ask you this. So you are a, a DO, um, uh, which is different than an MD. And a lot of people don't understand those differences. And I've, I've found, uh, well, there, I'd love you to explain the difference because I, I've found that there's a pretty distinct difference. Both doctors, by the way, I, I have my JD, which is also a doctor. And I'm the only one who gets gypped and doesn't get called doctor, but that's okay. Um, but tell us about what a DO is and what the training is, what's different than an MD. Yeah. Well, I come from a long line of osteopathic medicine doctors and uh, Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, PCOM. Yeah. Uh, osteopathic medicine is is very, very um, compatible with, with allopathic, which is the MD training. The main difference is that we learn osteopathic manipulation, which is you know, if someone comes in with back pain, you, we can give you a leave, but we can also do some 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 physical manipulation called, called osteopathic manipulation. It's very hands-on. It's very beautiful. Similar to chiropractic, but different. We learn that in addition to prescribing and surgery and all that other stuff. And it also, from day one, we're, we're trained, treat the patient as an entire human being. And and allopathic has really come, has has, has started to do that too. But I think osteopathic led the way with it's a whole human being you're dealing with, with the psychology, the mind, the body, the soul, and treat the entire psychology, the psychosocial aspects of that human being from day one, not just the diabetes, but who's the human being who got the diabetes and what and how could those other things affect? And that's when I became so interested in psychoneuroimmunology. Psychoneuroimmunology is how your thoughts your emotions and your feelings can affect your immune system and your nervous system. And that 
led me to the practice of oncology. So, so it was a beautiful transition from osteopathic to internal medicine to medical oncology. And, and, and why? Because I think oncology is the field where patients are the most afraid. Like back to that C word. There's two C words, connection and cancer. And I think one relates to the other in such an important way. When we connect, we heal. You must connect to your doctor, connect to yourself. Who am I? Why, you know, how, why did this show up in my life? You know, never blame yourself. I always say oncology, there's no room for the blame game. Even if you are a smoker, God forbid, and you got lung cancer, okay, whatever. There's people who get lung cancer who've never smoked. You can't be like, I did this to myself. No, you got to release that. How? You connect to your inner self. You connect to the core of who you are. You connect to your doctor. You connect to what's next. And so that's what connection is much deeper than just calling someone. It's connecting to that, that stillness within yourself. Like Ryan Holiday's book, Stillness is the Key. You have to connect to that stillness within yourself through meditation, through yoga. And then you start hearing that little voice inside that says, okay, we can beat this. We can, there's hope, there's inspiration. We can beat this. But when I, I think it's all related, you know, psychoneuroimmunology, our past trauma, our past emotions, it's all related and it all affects our health. How do you do it? You take it one step at a time and you start by bringing in that stillness. You start by listening to that inner voice. And that's all connection. That's all, that's the, uh, the vitamin C. I love that from your friend. Vitamin C, connection can help cure cancer. Connection to yourself, to your team, to your treatment. That's the key. Connection, creativity, and compassion. So part of it is, Dude. to me, I just want to bring hope, right? That's sort of my goal. And obviously with what you do, you bring hope to so many different patients and types of people. And so one of the things that I think is really interesting, you just named like creativity, uh, connection, compassion. That's actually part of what you learned in medical school, which is not a typical, you know, not a typical MD education. That's why I think, you know, an osteopath in that education is so interesting. You had a, a professor, I don't know exactly, said Dr. Flegelman, Flegelman, you can tell me how, tells you about the 10 C's of medicine. Walk us through those, because that to me, it's a whole, it's a whole, and I'm not knocking MDs, my brother's one, I think there's a great spot for it, <laughs> but there's, uh, I don't listen to him because he's my brother, but he's a really good doctor, <laughs> I'm sure. And so, um, you know, but, but but approaching it from this this uh, connectivity, we can't ignore science, right? That's that's like pretty obvious. We can't ignore science, um, but there are ways that if we heal the human being, um, that other types of medicine don't necessarily focus on. Uh, I think there's there's clearly a lot of even there's mounting evidence that that's important. Tell us a little bit about those ten yeah. C's or a few of them. Well, um, uh, Manny Flegelman. God bless him. He's passed on. I mean, this guy was a legend OBGYN. He, the first day of medical school, he comes in the front of the, the auditorium and he said, you know, he pointed to the door. Any of you who walk through that door and who do not adhere to the 10 C's, turn around and walk out. And he went through the 10 C's, compassion, connection, creativity, competence, 
Um, there's more, uh, so many more, but um, I can't remember them all at the moment. But he goes through each one, and and they were all about getting to know your patient on the human level. And um, there's obviously they're all in the book, and I've. I just can't remember them all right no, now. No, it's, it's, it's the focus. It's the whole point is it's the focus on more than just uh, symptom medication, symptom treatment. It's it's about hey, let's and and I think it, it's really evident in your in your book too, where you talk about music and the whole human. I mean, I think it's really interesting that I'm sure there are some MDs and other doctors who do this, but so many doctors forget that they're they're treating a human being that has either friends at school like you did at 13 or a wife and kids at home or a painting they can't wait to finish and it becomes this very i mean the term clinical right it becomes this clinical interaction um one thing i think is really interesting too we're going to get a little bit more into music uh with with your patients but um you've dealt with a lot of patients who've presented either the same form of cancer multiple times, or even a patient who presented four, I think the highest I saw you talked about was three or four different types of cancer, and oh they beat God. them all. I, I think there's some great hope in the fact that, um, of hearing stories like that, and how when you focus on getting your, your body right, you must have your mind right, must have the, be connected with your treatment team and everything else, there's a ton of hope in beating cancer, even multiple types of cancer, even multiple times. Uh, share any story you care to with us, I think it's great to hear. Yeah, you know, um, one story that comes to mind, and, and it's so relevant because it's it's the same cancer that Chadwick Boseman had, stage four colon cancer, and God bless him, he he is a light for everybody. And but it brought a lot of attention to colon cancer. All these young kids, and they lost Black Panther, and and just so so heart wrenching. And and you know he's he's winning all these amazing awards now, and it's sad. But he, you know, I, I think about Alicia. It's a wonderful patient. She presented at, at age 36 with the same exact cancer that Chadwick had. And it was aggressive. It was in her liver, just like him. He started with stage three, and then it came back stage four. She started stage four with a huge goomba in her liver, which was can colon cancer that stemmed to her liver, so metastatic. And she's a, she's a retired Marine, and she, she, she changed my life because she looked at me when I told her, look, we, we got to be aggressive. You're young. I know you're stage four, but if we're super aggressive, we might just be able to make you something called stage four, no evidence of disease. That means shrink the cancer with chemo and then try to cut it out of the liver. Once it's shrunk to just from a softball down to a ping pong ball, now we can try and cut it out. So she goes through all this awful chemo. What do I need to do? I have a son. I need to fight. I got to do this. She connected to her purpose. Why am I doing this? I want to be there for my son. She knew it the whole time. She did it for him. And it worked. It started shrinking. Softball, golf, tennis ball golf ball, ping pong ball. And then we sent her to um, an amazing surgeon. He says, we can get it. So now stage four, 
it was in one lobe of the liver, so she was lucky in that, in that met, so we could get it all out with surgery. We removed it with surgery. She had to, you know, big surgery to remove part of your liver, you know, liver resection. And now we're giving her more chemo afterwards. So she did half and then half after, half before, half after. Horrible chemo again. She's now, as far as we can tell, no evidence of colon cancer. She's still considered stage four. Once it's in your liver, you're always considered stage four, but she's disease free that we, as far as we can tell. So she was the true fighter. She was Rocky running up those steps, the Philadelphia Art Museum steps. She fought so hard and she showed me that you can do anything if you have a, if you, if you put your mind to it. And she fought with such grace and I'm still inspired by her. She knew her, she had her why. Why am I doing this? So I can be there for my son. And look, not everyone has those beautiful chances that she had, but I wanna give you hope out there. The advances are so amazing. There's, there's biologics, there's immunotherapies. There's so much now that we can test and give you specific treatment for your cancer that you could have stage four and still you can live with it. You can even in some circumstances be disease free and just be monitored and followed very closely with scans every three months. But there is hope. There is hope. Listen to me. There is hope. Uh, if you're not happy, get a second opinion. Every patient, every cancer patient deserves a second opinion. And you should always feel comfortable in talking to your oncologist and saying, hey, I heard this wacky oncologist on a podcast and he said get a second opinion you never know what new technologies are out there and you have to be you have to be your best advocate and if you if you're a son or daughter listening and it's your parent going through it you're their advocate and say hey let's just get a second opinion at whatever university maybe they have a new trial coming out there is so much happening and i just want you to know that there is hope I love it. A uh, reminder, everyone, you can go ahead and buy uh, Love is the Strongest Medicine. You can pre-order it on Amazon now. You should buy it. There's lots of amazing stories inside the book. Uh, let's go ahead and talk, Stephen, about when you first – so music obviously was a huge connector to your own healing when you were hit by a car at 13. When did you first uh, figure out that music should be a part of your, your cancer treatment for your patients? Well, after that, after I got that song from from Himmelman, I was like, I got to do this. And the next patient who walks in the door, like the next day, literally, is Chuck. And he's a pretty he was a f pretty famous piano teacher in Carlsbad, California. I practice up there, and he walks in, and he's this great piano teacher. But before he was a piano teacher, he had he was like a he was a semi-famous guy in Vegas who had this musical comedy act. Hello, musical comedy? I mean I love this guy. And he and he came in his first day, he played me this thing called The World's Dirtiest Song. And it was the greatest thing. And we laughed and we talked about how music is so healing. And I got Himmelman on the brain, and I'm like, Chuck, he's got stage four prostate cancer and it's failed multiple treatments and he's seeing me for a second opinion and it's getting worse and worse 
And so I come up with this new, there's a new chemo available for him at the time. So we got him on the new chemo and he started responding and he was getting a little better, PSA coming down. And I said, let's do a song. I, I have this idea. I want to write song. I want to write a song with you to help you battle through this treatment. He was in bad shape. Even though he was responding, the chemo was taking its toll on him. And I said, because you understand the power of music and its healing. I mean, he had like, you know, a thousand, a thousand piano students right around my office. And, and we wrote it. And it was called Teaching Me. And, and we sat in the office one day and I just said, tell me about you. Where did you come from? Tell me how you started in your musical career. And he took me through this whole career. And then it turned into his love for his wife, Ellie. And, and, and it was just one beautiful story after the other. But then it was how he transitioned. The, the, the main thrust of the song was how he transitioned to a teacher. Someone died after one of his shows. And Chuck changed from that fundamentally. He's like, I, I can't do this anymore. It was too rowdy, too crazy. He said, I'm going to go back to teaching. So the song was called Teaching Me. And uh, um, from that moment on, I played him I played him his song in his house when he was on his hospice bed and for him and his wife and it changed my life that was the first time I ever did it he's crying they're hugging they're crying and when I was done he's like you get me so like you got my soul you got my soul you validate it was such a validation you get who I am and he's like I'm not, it reminded me that I'm not just this guy dying of cancer. Like it's everything came back to me, pouring in all the emotions, hearing my life in a two minute song. And so that's when I was like, God, I got to do this. And then he passed away not too long after. And Ellie asked me to come play it at his celebration of life. His best piano students played played songs of uh, that he had taught them. And then I ended up playing the song and I could feel his presence, all his students there. And it's like, it's like, this is, this is what medicine is. Like, this is the best moment in my medical career. Like not, you know, not just giving someone chemo and, and the tumor shrink. It was, it was, it was the emotions and it was the healing that happened in that room that day. Ellie and and the children and so that's when I was like I got to keep doing it because it, it was and it healed me too it's just beautiful so uh, that's how it all started and a piano teacher that's amazing and and now you write songs for many of your patients right and tell us about that many yeah many um, some don't want it right some are like no nah, sorry but but others come in and go. I want. Where's my song? Like they, <laughs> they might when like they might have Googled me or, or saw something, like from from some you know Today Show or whatever, and they're like, you're the you write songs and they help people heal. So I want a song, Doctor E. And so you know, there's requests that come in. So a lot of them now are the ones that request them because they really they're already on board. So some I'll bring up and say, you know, I do this thing. And, um, but a lot of them are like, hey, I saw that you do this. And, and we do a songwriting session. And sometimes it's in the room after we do all the medical stuff. That's always first. 
and then then we have some fun. I how you know tell me how you met your husband. Tell me what you were like as a kid. Where did you grow up? What do you want the world to know about you? What are you most proud of? What are you grateful for? What are you um, you know what are you sad about? What are you angry at? Whatever it is, but it's all, never about the cancer. It's always about what moves, touches, and inspires them. And then over the course of a week or you know how the lyrics come. They just sort of trickle in. I have the notes. And when they're speaking, little ideas come in. And then you pick up your guitar and, and, a, and an idea comes from with, oh, they grew up in Michigan by a lake. And, you know, this chemo is about all I can take. You know, but I grew up by a lake. And it, it all comes, it starts coming together. And then in a week or two, there's a song, and it's an original song, original music and lyrics. And then, you know, we we either uh, we go to their home or or maybe in the exam room if it's too much, and we just bring in the guitar and play it for them. A lot of people like to do it with like a, invite their friends and make it a celebration of life when they finish the chemo, or even if they're just dealing with cancer that's stage four. Just, again, that little beautiful nudge back to, to their core being who they are and what they love about life. And it's a little celebration of, of life and no matter what they're going through. And it's, it's just this beautiful moment. And I just, I, I, I can never let go of it because it, every time I do it, it reminds me of why I went into medicine, why I went into oncology, why... These, these songs have saved my soul so many times because oncology can crush you. And there's, no, there's so much burnout in oncology. Like I was burned out early in my career, but I feel like this has saved me from burnout ever since because it's not building that wall between doctor and patient. I humbly say, break down the wall. Break down the wall. Watch... Watch a two-minute Seinfeld clip with your patient. Listen to their favorite song with them. Write a poem together. Make a drawing together. You know, it's that that, that saves you from burnout because you, otherwise you become, like I was, a walking zombie just writing notes and putting in the prescriptions and getting drowned in the red tape and the medical records and... And, um, and and there's this thing in medicine called moral injury where we just feel like we can't do what we want for our patients. We're just, we're just swamped by the system. I think the only way out of the system is to battle against it by using creativity and using your heart. And I know you got to play in the system. You have to, unless you completely break out and, you know, you become concierge and just people pay you for just to see you and that's a great model if you're if you don't want to be in the system but I have to be in the system because oncology you just you just sort of have to so this is a way of playing in the system where you can be your your highest creative human being self and it's not just songwriting it's any shared connection experience um, as we are wrapping up and reminding everyone to get a copy of Love is the Strongest Medicine, obviously, some things, you've said a lot of profound things here. Um, healing the heart, 
very often, I, I'm, I'm thinking this through right now, I bet it's, that's actually more important than healing the body uh, in a lot of ways because sometimes you probably just can't heal the body, and but you can always heal the heart and the soul if you do the work. So that's, that's a great takeaway for me. As someone who's experienced um, so much of death and, and loss of life, uh, give us your perspective on that. Ta- uh, I imagine you could take away some of the fear of that, I would imagine, but give me your perspective on that. Well, fear of death, you know, it's still, it's still so prevalent in, in our everyday practice because every, you know, people are living from scan to scan. You know, it's like, oh, I hear every day, you know, I was fine until a day before our appointment when I knew you were going to give me those scan results. And it's so true. And there's really, there's the only thing I can say is that, you know, there's a beauty there's a beauty when you can be present to the impermanence of life and as an oncologist every day in my face is this is so we're here for a blink we are here at a briefest of candlelight we're just here for a moment on this little blue dot flying around the universe but this impermanence thing when I, when I look at them in the eye and say, look, none of us know how long we're going to be here. You just happen to have this artificial expiration date stamped on you, but we're going to go against it. And we're going to, you know, you're not, a statistic, you're not a statistic. There are statistics, but you are not a statistic. So none of us know how long we're going to get. And that's so obvious when you just watch the local news. Don't do that, by the way. But <laughs> there's, I mean, and, and what we've just been through with, with half a million, you know, people gone. Um, but what we can say is that you got to just embrace every hour, every minute, every second we have. And how do you do that? You just look around. You just be present to looking Nick in the eyes. I see those glasses. I see your cool hair. I see that cool jersey behind you. And, like, I'm here. I'm here right now with you because I can look at you in the eyes and be with you and just be like, we're here. And you can look outside and look at the tree out the window like I just did. How do you be present? Because that's all we have. And it's not easy. Trust me, it's not easy. Zen masters and meditation gurus from all types have been trying to teach us how to be present, to be here right now, like Ram Das said, be here now. How do you do it? I think you just use your five senses to just be with whoever you're with, whoever's in front of you. Right now, it's Nick. Right now, it's whoever's listening to this. I'm here with you, even though you're just hearing my voice and you're looking at Nick and I, whatever. We're here with you. Reach out. Connect to us through through technology. And then we're maybe we're on a Zoom next week. I'm starting this cool thing called Cancer Fight Club. It's a, it's a private Facebook group called Cancer Fight Club. And we're going to go over sort of the principles of the book and support each other and just connect with each other and love each other. Reach out to me if you want to be part of Cancer Fight Club. Send an email. Send a quick email to Stephen at drstephen.com. 
Stephen at drstephen.com, and I'll get you in the. I'll invite you to become a, pri, a member, and we're going to go over the book. We're going to go chapter by chapter. We're going to love on each other. We're going to support each other. There's going to be spontaneous songs happening, but that's how I think I would we would do it, just to love this moment for just how it is and just how it isn't. I love it. Uh, lead with service, one of my favorite things. Uh, Dr. Steve Eisenberg, who is healing people with music, humor, and hope, uh, author of Love is the Strongest Medicine. Check out the book on Amazon. Dr. Steve, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes. 